is the Dealer News Today podcast, the podcast for automotive executives and the professionals who support them. Hey there, folks, and welcome to Dealer News Today, the award-winning and number one automotive dealership-centric podcast that there is. And I appreciate you being here. But first, if you're not already, make sure you follow the show on social media, at Dealer News Today. And, uh, well, this is season four, episode 15. Yeah. But, you know, if you'd like to hear past seasons and episodes, that's no problem at all. Just head over to DealerNewsToday.com for that and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Derek D. And if you're like, wait, who? Well, DerekD.com is where that question can be answered. But right now, I'm going to ask my next guest a bunch of questions. He's got 56 years experience in the automotive industry. So, in other words, he's seen it all. Who is he? Well, none other than the president and CEO of Kelly Automotive Group, up there in Massachusetts. I'm in Jersey, that's why I said up there. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Brian Kelly. What's going on, Brian? Good to have you on DNT. Well, thank you so much. I'm actually watching uh, CNBC and I'm watching the Fed raise the interest rate by three quarters of a point. That gives us something to talk about. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's funny you say that. You know, I saw something about that uh, right before I logged on and I didn't click on it and read it, but if you want, hey, let's jump right in. What do you, uh, what do you think that means for the automotive industry right now? Well, certainly it's going to make uh, interest rates go up for lending purposes and for leases, which is derogatory to what we should be doing. Right. But I think keep inflation <laughs> under control. This is what the Fed has to do. So you think even though it's a necessary evil kind of thing right now? Exactly. Yeah. How long do you think that's going like, to, when do you see that, you know, going down or anything when the inflation? Oh, I, uh, yeah, I think we've got a couple of years of inflation in front of us. You just can't make it go away. It happened a lot quicker than I think it will go. It started with wage inflation, you know, right on through. Obviously, the war in Ukraine hasn't helped. Gas prices, grocery prices. It's just it's just here to stay. It's really going to reset the economy, I think, for the next two or three years at least. Oh, man. You know, sometimes, you know, like you just wish, you know, sometimes bad things happen so quick. You're like, why can't good things turn around <laughs> just as fast? But usually, like, it takes, you know, for example, you know, you break your arm. It happens in an instant, but it takes a while to heal. So I kind of think that's what's going on here. No, that's a good analogy. You know, plus we're dealing with supply chain issues, which really hurt the automotive industry. Chips are the biggest problem that we have to deal with. I went to three of my dealerships today and I had in my Honda dealership, I had six new cars in stock. At Volkswagen, I had 30. Nissan, I had 25. In user, we have hundreds and we have, you know, single digits. Uh, certainly under 100 cars at any dealership at every given time. We're just not used to that. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Everyone I talk to on the show, every dealership owner and uh, GM, whoever, they say the same thing. I mean, it's 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 just insanity how many cars are on lots right now as opposed to how many cars are usually on lots. And, you know, a lot of it is because clearly the inventory and the, and the chip shortage. You did say, this. Just, it just piqued my interest, you have 30 new cars on your VW lot. I drive a VW. I'm, I, I love VWs. Um, is there a reason you have more there? Is is, v, is Volkswagen doing something different? Well, I think Volkswagen has managed their chips a little bit better than some of the Japanese companies. Mm. The Japanese companies, my Nissan Infiniti and Honda, that's where I have the least inventory. Um, I have about 150 Jeeps in stock, but I used to have five or 600. <laughs> and we're selling... At the end of the month, at the end of the day, we're selling about 50% of new cards that we used to sell a year or two ago. 
Now, the flip side of that is instead of discounting the cars uh, down to nothing, which was happening, the cars are pretty much selling for sticker price. Right. So we make up some of the gross profit because we're making a little bit more per car, but it still doesn't get us back to where we were before everything happened. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I uh, some... You know, owners I talk to on here say that, you know, they get the cars in, that's the MSRP and that's the price and they don't raise it. You know, some, some dealerships do, they raise it because they know people need cars and, you know, supply and demand and uh, they're going to get that money. What, what, what's your take on that? Well, I do things long-term. I think being greedy and overcharging per vehicle isn't a long-term strategy. However, we're a Ford dealer and we had brokers coming in and ordering and buying Broncos. They take it to an auction and make $10,000, $15,000 profit on top of the MSRP. So I don't think that's right either. I'd rather keep the vehicles and sell them to my own customers, my own market. Yeah, right. So so when those brokers were coming in, I guess at first – you couldn't tell because they were trying to, you know, buy it on the sly as like, quote unquote, normal customers. Yeah, yeah exactly. We couldn't tell at first, but we wised up to it pretty quickly. Yeah, I guess there's certain questions or certain uh, uh, tells, if you will, like like as as if you're like a, a dealer blackjack at a casino or something. You're noticing if someone's counting cards or something, but you're noticing if a broker's coming in to buy a Bronco because they're going to resell it and make a profit. Exactly. We've, it took us about 10 days to figure it out. But once we did, we put an end to it. That's good. Yeah. You know, I, I find it a good, good call, like you said, to, you know, stay pretty true to that MSRP because I've said this on the show before with owners, you know, it's, it's the long game. So people are coming back in for their service. They're coming back and they're telling friends and family to buy cars. You know, it, it's, it's longevity. And I think that's, that's a way better way to do business. And I think people and, and consumers especially uh, enjoy that and gravitate towards that. It's honest, you know? It is. Well, we've been in business since, uh, for 56 years, actually. 1965, and it's been right? Yeah, 1965, October. I was, I remember like yesterday. <laughs> and we've always taken care of our customers and we've always uh, played the long game. And it does pay off. We sell grandparents, grandkids, everybody in between. Uh, we do a big repeat business. We have new customers coming in every day, but you add that to the repeat business we do. And that's one of the reasons why we've been so successful. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you have, uh, you have eight locations in Massachusetts with 10 franchises. Is that what I read? Yes. Now, excuse me for maybe not knowing, I know what eight locations mean, but with 10 franchises, what's that mean? Is that a total of 18? No. In some of the French and some of the locations will have two franchises like Jeep and Chrysler. Oh, I see. You know, Ford and Separate Ford commercial truck division. Oh, okay. I see. Oh, interesting. So 56 years in the automotive industry, established in October 1965, family-owned, right? It was uh, your your father, uh, Roland Kelly, started the business, correct? Yeah. Yeah, he started the business um, with a used car lot. He had a string of light bulbs, and he could keep 12 to 15 cars on the lot. I was 13 years old at the time, and I used to go there and wash cars, sweep floors, change light bulbs, you know, all the thing a 13-year-old kid can do. So, so you really – sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's okay. And I, I ended up going to a trade school so I could learn about cars. But then somewhere along the line when I was a mechanic working for my father, I figured out I could make a little more money selling them than fixing them. So, And I had the ability to sell vehicles. So at 15 – he sent me to a place called Robert Hall, which you won't remember. They're out of business. But I bought two suits for $59, and I'd go to school. I'd uh, go to the dealership, put on my suit, and I'd sell cars uh, for the rest of the day. I did it nights and weekends all during high school. And then when I graduated high school at 18, I became a full-time salesperson. Wow. See, you know, that's that's 
that's very admirable because it's the kind of thing where it's like, look, I love this. I love cars and uh, this is what I'm going to do. And a lot of people, you know, they go to, they, 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 after high school, they don't know what they're going to do. They go to college, don't even end up using their degree. It's like, nope, this is what I'm going to do. I love doing this. And honestly, I'd probably in high school, if you're selling cars, whether they're used or not, you know, you're probably making more money than all your friends. And especially after high school. Well, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was, I remember a lot of my friends, I always had older friends. Now I have younger friends, but they were getting out of college and getting offered. This is back in the day, you know, 12, 15,000, $11,000 for jobs. And I was making about 15 selling cars. Yeah. And I said, well, I, I can always put college off. Well, the next thing you know, I get married, I have a couple of kids. I didn't go to college, but, and not that college is a waste. I made sure all my kids went to college and I'm making sure my grandkids go to college, but I got four years of on the job experience. Yeah, you while everybody to. Else was, <laughs> or they were partying in Fort Lauderdale on spring break and I was working every day. Hey, well, you know, look, you had your priorities straight. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sure you had some fun partying yourself and stuff, but you know, you were determined and, uh, obviously it clearly paid off. Look how successful you are today. So a uh, great job there. Oh, I, I read, uh, I read something. You guys had the very first infinity dealership in the country. Yeah. We were very successful with Datsun back in the day. Oh, and Datsun, that's right. They turned it to Datsun. Nissan and then, yeah. And, then to Nissan. and I was very successful. I bought the family business, um, in 1979 and in the eighties, I became very successful with Nissan. So that allowed me to get the first infinity dealership. Um, it was uh, 1989, November of 89. And, the, and actually, it was the first Infinity dealership in the world. Wow. Wow. That's, that's... And that's where I'm sitting today. As I speak to you, I'm sitting at my desk at Infinity. Wow. Interesting. And that, actually, that's kind of a good uh, segue into my next question. Uh, what's your, your, you know, you're, you're sitting at your desk at, Inf at Infinity. It's Wednesday. What's your typical day look like? Are you at that dealership every day or do you bounce around to a bunch of the different ones? Well, my corporate office is at Infinity. That's where my team that helps me run everything. And I do. I bounce around to all the dealerships. So I'll go to three or four one day. And if I don't get to them all, then I'll do three or four the next day. And sometimes I'm there at seven in the morning and sometimes I'm there at seven o'clock at night. But my corporate team where we do all our advertising, all our strategy and all our training sessions are at the Infinity building. Oh, okay. In Danvers, where I, in Danvers, where I was born, where I grew up, where I went to high school, I haven't moved. I haven't moved more than two miles away from my whole life history. <laughs> That's interesting. That's one of the questions I was going to ask you too. Like, what, you know, what, what's, what's your story? You're, so you're originally from Massachusetts, you're right there. Um, yeah, I was born in Danvers, went to high school, graduated in 1970. And my father, like I said, bought the used car lot in 65. And I've been involved with cars and motorcycles ever since. Did you ever have, was there anything else that you were like, well, maybe I'm really into this. And I, cause I've, I've talked to some owners who went to school to be doctors, went to school to be, you know, uh, things that are completely different than the automotive industry. And they end up, you know, owning a dealership or, you know, working at dealerships. Uh, was there something else that you kind of had your eye on and then, or was it always cars? Well, it was always cars, girls, and motorcycles, not necessarily. <laughs> order. However, I really do like real estate. I bought my first house when I was 20 because I was paying rent for $85 a month and I could buy a house back in the day. Sorry, did you say for, $85 a month? Yeah, $85 wow. a month. Better times. <laughs> and I know. And then I bought a house. I bought a house for $36,500. <sighs> Principal interest and in taxes was two fifty nine dollars a month. That was my first piece of real estate. And I had a plan that I was going to buy a piece of real estate every year for like 30 years. And then I could retire and I could sell one every 
every year for 30 years. That was my plan. Interesting plan. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of real estate. One of the things in the car industry is you have three, four, five acres to run a business. The business pays for the real estate. And at the end of the day, if you live long enough, like I have to pay off your mortgages, then you become the bank and you get to collect that money. So there's a lot of car dealers at their end game when they want to get out their real estate is worth more than the actual car dealership. So they might sell it to a CVS or a Walgreens or a furniture store. So that's an end game for a lot of people huh. in the auto industry. Wow. That's really cool. That's, that's, that's clever and good to know. I mean, uh, yeah, be, being able to own, you know, real estate is definitely, definitely good right now. I mean, it's crazy out there. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that you went into that because even selling cars is, very smaller scale of something like real estate. It's a, it's an item, it's property, and that you can buy and turn around and resell for more. So it's uh so you're, you're definitely a, a an expert high end pro at 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 selling things. That's for sure. Whether it's real estate or cars. Well, I've been doing it a long time. You know, yeah, I, I think if you have a sales ability, you could sell refrigerators. You know, I could sell appliances. It's about you know it's it's getting to know the customers. The customers need to have confidence in you. And if they have confidence in you and believe in you, it just makes it a lot easier. And that's what we've been doing for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been doing a great job at it. And I, I'm going to ask you this next question, but I'm pretty sure from what you said so far, I know the answer. Uh, were you always a car guy or are you just you just like the sales of cars and selling cars no. in the business end? Always a car guy. You know, when yeah. I was <laughs> seven, eight years old, I was drawing pictures. I would doodle on my books in school. I would draw pictures of GTOs and Corvettes and no, I've always loved cars and motorcycles. Always. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I love when I hear a uh, you know an owner of a dealership say that they're you know no, not offense if you're not a car person you're just more into the business side of things. But I'm a car guy myself, and uh, I, I love to hear that. And you said motorcycles. You know, just quick side note. I actually uploaded a video today on my social media of uh, I took this like a uh, little 125 cc uh, replica cafe racer and I. Totally, I painted it. I redid it. I put new like LED lights on it, and all these, and I just modified it like crazy. So uh, I ride that. I live by the beach in Jersey, so I whip that thing around. Oh, yeah, so it's it's a lot of fun. Um, when I was a kid, I used to take my bicycle and I used to trick the bicycle out. I used to paint them. I put streamers and I would put speedometers on them and all kinds of different things on bicycles, which transfer it over to motorcycles. Cause in Massachusetts, you could get a motorcycle license before you could get a car license. So my first vehicle that I drove was really a motorcycle. And then in 1995, I bought a Harley Davidson dealership and I had it for 16 years. Oh, wow. and, and then I, so I've been around motorcycles my whole life. Oh, wow. Do you have a few now? I do. I've, I actually have a car collection and I've got four or five motorcycles in there. I, I have two road Kings. Those are my favorite bikes. I don't ride as much as I used to. Yeah. You know, I started, I got my first bike, I think it was 1968. And with the distracted driving and cell phones and everything else that goes on, I don't feel as safe riding a motorcycle as I did 20 years ago. Oh, yeah, I hear you. And especially living in an area like Boston. And I live in Jersey where like my, like the, the bike I have, I'm, I, no highways for me. I stick to Ocean Ave and side streets. And and yeah, that's about it. Because uh, exa exactly for what you just said, you know, distracted driving, all that stuff. It just it's just wiser that way, but it's really cool to know that you uh, you're into all that stuff. So you said you have a car collection. Don't mind me asking, what's your what's your most prized car in that collection? Well, I have a 1954 Buick Skylark convertible. Oh wow! Which they made eight eight hundred and thirty five of those, and it's less than two hundred. I probably have one of the better of the two hundred that left. And when I was a kid. 
my father was a salesperson at a Buick dealership. And I used to go there at five and six and seven years old. And those were the cars that would be in the showroom. And he would give me some white wall cleaner and I had the big wide white walls. Yeah. And as a kid, I'd clean the white walls on Washington's birthday, which was a big sales event. I mean, I'd get a free donut and I'd be happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think it's easy to pay kids with donuts. I mean, what kid doesn't want a donut, but wow, that's a, that's a really cool car. And I'm sure it's in great shape and it's one of, you know, it's super rare, one of not many at all. And it's probably worth well over a hundred thousand dollars. You know, when the MSRP originally was probably like four or five thousand bucks, you know, <laughs> what's what's your daily driver right now? Uh, right now I'm driving a Bronco, Ford Bronco. Oh, do, do now I heard that it's very hard to get the hard tops. Do you have a hard top on it or the soft top? I have a hard top. I just got it a few weeks ago. Prior to that, I had a, a soft top and I like the Bronco. It's big. It's it's you know, it's boxy. But it's very utilitarian. I'm always doing work around the house and I fold the seats down. And it, and it's just as a cool factor about it. I mean, everybody looks at it. Everybody wants to know what it is. And there's somewhere between a two and three year waiting list um, to get one if you're a retail customer. Yeah, no, I know. And I know people that are lucky to get them, you know, getting one with a hard top on it is, is very hard to come by. They all come with the soft tops right now because the shortages and all that stuff, you know. Exactly. Speaking of... uh we did touch on inventory before. What, like in total, with all your dealerships, if you know, how many new cars do you usually have on the lots? Well, in the past, I would have a couple of 3,000. You know, right now, I have about 875-ish, give or take, and give or take 100 either way, new and used. You know, if you're just talking about the new cars, I have maybe 250 wow. with all the dealers. Yeah, that's definitely not the norm. But I, I think the norm is moving in the sense that through all this, and you could give me your opinion on this, through all this and the pandemic and all that stuff, I, I think dealerships are finding you don't need tons of brand new cars on the lot. You, you definitely need more than you have now. Every dealership says that. But moving forward, it seems like it's more of a come into the dealership, here's what you want, you design it on the computer, whether you do it at home, whether you do it at a dealership, maybe get some paperwork done, and then your car comes in. Do you think it's moving more towards that? I, yes, I do. Um, you're exactly right. I was at Volkswagen this morning. They got a load of nine vehicles in, and seven of the nine were sold to people that ordered them, just as you said. Yeah. So that gave me two for inventory. Well, you know, the two will be gone by the end of the day. And if Ford's running a promotion, you get I think it's a $1,500 discount if you order a car online. And that has its challenges when people order their own cars online. But you're exactly right. That's where the industry is going. Yeah. And I, I think that's just the, you know, technology wise, that's why it's, it's moving towards that. Now, um, you know, you said you have a, I, I drive a VW, I have a VW, I have a Passat R line 2017, um, with the lighting package and all that stuff, but it's like, I've modified it like crazy, but very tastefully. And, uh, but I've, I've, even though I love the car, I know how much I can get for it right now. And I'm looking at those Arteons. I'm looking like maybe for a used, like, you know, 2020, 21, maybe 2019 Arteon. But those are hard to come by too. Yeah. In fact, it's funny. I have a used one. Uh, I think it's two years old in the showroom when I was there this morning. Uh, so, no, you're, 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 right on, you're right on target with what's happening in the industry. And I think people are used to it. You know, COVID obviously pushed technology in the way we live our lives and do business. And I think that's one of the outcomes of COVID is people are willing to wait for what they want. Whereas before it was instant gratification, instant gratification. But the whole buying process of everything from houses to cars to appliances, it's all changed. You go into an appliance store, 
and you're not looking for a discount, you say, do you have one? Do you have a refrigerator? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take whatever you can get me. Yeah. So I think people are willing to wait to get what they want instead of settling for something that they don't want. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, and I think of the, you know, and, uh, the back end of that is like when it does come in, you're even more excited, you know, it's, you don't have to get that instant gratification, but the wait makes it even that more, you know, anticipatory and, and, uh, exciting when you do get it. Yeah. All true. Yeah. Are you, so you got eight dealerships. Are you looking to expand even more right now? Cause I know a lot of owners are, you know, they're, 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 it's, it's a weird time because a lot of people are selling dealerships right now, but a lot of people are buying them too. So are you looking to expand some more? Well, I'm always looking for opportunities, but there's a lot of consolidation going on in the business, just like, you know, with pharmacies and little grocery stores, it's really hard to compete with the big boys. And there's a lot of public companies. I'll use CarMax as an example. Everybody knows that name. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to compete because of the cost of capital, because of the difficulty it is to get cars. I mean, they walk into an auction uh, and they just buy everything that's coming down the pike. And, you know, they raise the prices. Used car prices are, friends call me all the time. Hey, I need a used car. My kid's going to college or whatever. And prices are two to $4,000 more than they should be. And it's because of places like Carmackles, and they buy out the whole auction. So used cars are very scarce, drives up the price. Like you said, your car is probably worth, I don't know whether you leased it or you bought no, it. No, I own it. The circumstances. I own it, yeah. and I owe like 10 on it, but I think I could probably get like yeah. 20 or 21. Oh, yeah. It, it, again, it, you get, you'll get two to $4,000 more than it would be worth in a normal market. And the normal market isn't this year. Maybe it's next year or the year after, but I think we get another... A uh, couple of quarters and maybe even the first half of next year before we get to something that's called the new normal. And I don't think anybody knows what that is. I certainly don't. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a cra crazy time right now. Uh, so what do you think the automotive dealership industry looks like in five years? Well, electrification is going to have a lot to do with it. I don't think we'll all be driving electric cars I agree. in the next five years. But I think you know, 2030, maybe it's 40%, maybe by 2030. I could be dead by 2035. So I think I'll be 85 and 90 years old. Oh, you'll, be, but, you'll, uh, be, you'll be fine. You're I spry. So. Uh, I'll get some new parts. <laughs> um, but, but I do think electrification is, is the wave of the future, or hydrogen or something. And the fossil fuels are going to go away, but it's going to take time. It could even be, you know, we could be into 2050 before there's no more internal combustion engines it's all about the batteries and it's all about technology yeah I, you know i i agree and I, I i i like electric vehicles i do i love how fast they are they got that instant torque because not all those moving parts in a combustion engine but you know it's and, and don't get me wrong hybrids are great too because then you get the best of both worlds but a lot of people especially people that are you know very you know and i hey i love the environment but a lot of people that are screaming go electric go electric go electric they don't realize the electricity to charge your car is probably coming from a coal plant or, or natural gas or whatever it is. And also to build batteries, I, I read something the other day. It was like to build one battery they for a car, they have to dig up about 30,000 pounds of earth or something. Like it, there, There's all these other effects that it does have on the environment. It's not just like, oh, I got an electric car. I'm not – I I agree. I'm, I'm per perfectly uh, – you know, zero emissions. It's just not true. And a lot of people don't realize what it takes to make an electric car. But don't get me wrong. I love them too. But I, I also love the sound of engines. I like rowing my own gears. 
if it if it if it wasn't if it wasn't for the tax credit that people get when they buy an electric car, they wouldn't be selling half as many. Oh right, yeah, no, absolutely, I I, I know that for sure. But you're right. I think it's going to be a while before that, and I I think you'll always have both. You know, especially until you have the infrastructure where. You know, a charging station is as common as a gas station, but also, and people that listen to the show have heard me say this a million times, but charge my car as fast as it takes to fill it up. And then now we're talking. Right. And electric cars, like in the Midwest, don't really fly. You know, they're on the East Coast, the West Coast. We do not have, you brought up a great point, we do not have the infrastructure here in the East Coast to support a 30 or a 40 or 50% electric car ownership. We just don't have it. And there's a lot of old houses in New England and it can be 2,500 to $5,000 to convert your house so you can plug in your electric car. A lot of people aren't going to spend that money. Yeah, and that's another thing. Make it so that like it's got to get to the point. And we are getting better at this. I mean, electric cars, they're now, their range is getting longer and longer. But like people want to be able to plug it into the wall in their house and get a four, 500 mile range just in a you know an overnight sleep of charge, uh, just by plugging it into their wall. So that's, you know, that's where I think uh, it needs to go. And I think a lot of people need to really understand wh- how we get electric cars and how that affects the environment. And that. Well, that's true, and, and it costs money. Obviously, your electricity uh, it, it could cost anywhere from four to eleven dollars to plug in a car and charge it up. But it's better than fifty or sixty dollars or eighty dollars for tank right, gas. Right, especially right but now. Right. There is a class related to it. And as you said, whether it's oil, coal, there's somebody that has to dig dig up something in order to produce electricity. So you really have to look at the whole big picture. Right. Absolutely. And good. Good. Uh, that's, a, that's a great point right there. So, yeah. One of the last questions before we get going. Uh, what's what's the what's the one of the biggest lessons you've learned during the last two years through the pandemic, all the covid craziness? Uh, what's one of the biggest lessons you've learned in, in, it could be in life or, you know, within the dealership business? Well, in any business, cash is king, because right now it costs a lot more to borrow money than it did six months ago, or certainly a couple of years ago. Yeah. So I think if you can live below your means, you can save some cash. Uh, you know, we know what's happened with the stock market and bonds and uh, my poor friends that have Bitcoin. They've been they've been singing the blues lately. Yeah. So there's, there's nothing wrong with cold, hot cash. It still works. <laughs> well, you heard it here, folks. There's nothing wrong with cold, hard cash. You know, the dollar may not be as strong right now, but, you know, cash is king. Hey, I love it. Well, listen, Brian, it's been a pleasure to have you on Dealer News today. Come back anytime. Great. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. You got it. And I appreciate you being here. That was Brian Kelly, the president and CEO of Kelly Automotive Group. If you're up there in Massachusetts, feel free to stop by any one of his dealerships or you can head over to kellyauto.com. And that will do it for this episode of DNT. Follow us at Dealer News today on social media. I'm your host, Derek D. DerekD.com for all my stuff. Thanks for listening, everybody. And until next time, this is Dealer News Today.